0: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Matthew 5. Hey, Silas. Awesome job, buddy. That was fantastic and, and really perfect timing because we've come to the eighth and final beatitude that you just said for us. So that is so good. You know, over these last seven weeks, we're on the eighth week now, we've had the same bumper video lead into the sermon series. It's filled with pictures that, that literally had the hashtag blessed. And so what we've been looking at is really... The clash between two completely different, irreconcilable value systems, the hashtag blessed life, and then the blessed life, the happy life, the flourishing life, according to Jesus. You know, the way of Jesus and his vision of the good life is counterintuitive at best to the ways that we would naturally be inclined to live. Um, And actually to push it further, the ways of Jesus actually uh, work as an assault on the values of this world, which is why living for Jesus can, and you're going to see in a moment, actually will lead to persecution. So let me read our text, uh, the eighth beatitude and then the elaboration on them after. Verse 10, blessed are those who... Now, what we're going to do with our time is we're going to walk through this text and unpack uh, like a half sentence at a time. This is my sneaky way of getting like six points in today, okay? But this beatitude, this eighth and final beatitude is like all the others in some ways, but it's also different than all the others. Let me explain that. It's like all the others in that it's a description of the Christian is a description of the Christian. It's not a prescription of what you must do to be saved, but a description, like all the others, a description of someone who has already been saved by Jesus. This isn't just, this is yet another description of a genuine follower of Jesus. So in that way, it's like all the others, but it's different in that this is what's going to happen to you because you are a Christian. All the others are direct in the sense that You will be poor in spirit. You will take on a a meekness and a a, a mercy and a, a peacemaking posture. You will do those things. But this last one will be done to you, right? All the others are something you do in that sense. And the others, this last one is something that will be done to you. Welcome to church. You will be persecuted. So let's just look at the first phrase. Blessed are those who are persecuted. So who is Jesus saying are blessed, are happy, are flourishing in our text today? He's saying that those are blessed who are persecuted. Those who are persecuted. This word persecuted means literally, it means harass. It's probably the best way to say it. Blessed are those who are harassed. It's to cause to suffer, whether it's physical or emotional. It's it's also to pursue or to apply pressure. Simply put, it's to harass because of one's beliefs. That's what it means to be persecuted. Now, 2020 has, by nearly all accounts, been a terrible year so far. Maybe you've seen some of the memes. It's been a tough year, right? The world, in many ways, is in turmoil and struggling and it's reeling and 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 so what's happening just with the pandemic alone I don't know if you remembered this but we're in the middle of a pandemic right now well you do remember that's why you're watching church our service from home right now but the reason we're not having large gatherings let's just be clear right is not because of persecution we're tempted to say stuff like that oh we're being persecuted we're not seen as an essential service and all of those kinds of conversations But the reality is our faith is informing what we're doing at this moment of not gathering in groups larger than 15 in some settings and 50 in others. We don't gather in big groups precisely because our faith compels us to put others before ourselves. And and we also don't meet anyways because we don't want to disparage the name of Jesus by rebelling against a stipulation right where there's potentially some outbreak that happens as we all just go to church regardless and gather because we will not be persecuted you know those kinds of things just create a debacle because really then we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves we have not been selfless and thought of others as we should and so we're tempted sometimes to be like wow we're being persecuted no that wouldn't be a setting where that is the case but believe me there are many other settings where that is. Now, I want you to see that this is absolutely critical. It doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted, full stop. What it says is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for self-righteousness sake. Doesn't say that, right? Some people do suffer because of their like holier-than-thou attitudes, or they're, 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 they're not suffering because of the gospel, they're suffering because they're smug, or they have this superiority or this religiosity about them. I'm not talking about those who are unnecessarily antagonistic. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that the gospel itself is offensive enough, right? It talks about the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The gospel itself is offensive enough. Nothing else should be. Nothing else about us should be offensive, antagonistic with the gospel. It's not what it's saying here. It's saying for righteousness sake, not self-righteousness sake. Let me try and illustrate that a little bit with a, a satirical story I, I read. And in this story, there were some believers in a small town who were eager to share their faith. And so they came up, they devised this plan. This plan was to use a blimp to float in the sky all over town all day long with a scripture banner, you know, flying behind it. And this was their favorite part. Um, It would drop tracks, which they affectionately referred to as gospel bombs. Okay, so they did this for a while, and they thought this was absolutely brilliant. The town didn't love it, but but they put up with it. But then the believers in town started to grow... Um, um, a little bit uh, sad. They thought, "Wow, oh, this should have worked and we're not really seeing results. And so it didn't have the kind of success that they had hoped for. So rather than scratch it as a bad idea, they doubled down on this thing, okay? And so they insp- in, they installed a loudspeaker on the blimp. And so as it floated all over town all day long, there was a loudspeaker and all it was doing was blaring casting crowns music. Or it would switch sometimes into King James Version Bible style preaching. It was just one or the other. Essentially, they waterboarded this town. <laughs> uh, and so that, that's what they were doing. And you know what the town folk eventually did? They shot the thing down, right? They destroyed the blimp. But guess what? The Christians, the Christians saw it as persecution. That's not what's being said here, Okay. So hold on to that. What also isn't being said here is being persecuted for unrighteousness sake. Some people suffer because they're ripping people off in business or doing some other kind of ungodly behavior in their lives. But then when they're persecuted or they're thought poorly of or spoken of in a disparaging way, they assume, oh, it's because I profess Christ. I'm being persecuted. No, it's not because of that. So it's really important to not just see this as being persecuted full stop. It's important to see this that it's, it doesn't mean persecuted because you're a jerk. It doesn't mean persecuted for a political cause that you're pushing hard that has nothing to do or doesn't inform the cause of the gospel. It doesn't even say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being good and noble. Doesn't say any of those things it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The persecuted are those determined to live as Jesus lived. That's what it means. For righteousness sake, this determination to live like Jesus lived. To put it a little more clearly, it's those determined to live out the rest of the Beatitudes we've been walking through these last seven weeks. When it says for righteousness sake, Here's what that righteousness looks like. Let's walk through it together. Because Jesus saved us, we can be poor in spirit because we know he promises to be our sufficiency in all things. Because Jesus saved us, we can enter into others' pain and mourn because that's what he did for us. Because Jesus saved us, we can be meek and take the second place because that's what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus saved us, we can hunger and thirst for righteousness because the God of righteousness has become our savior. Because Jesus saved us, we can't help but be merciful to others because that's how he was to us. Because Jesus saved us, we want to be pure in heart so we can know him more. Because Jesus saved us, we can prioritize peace instead of vindication because that's what Jesus did for us. See, because Jesus saved us, we can endure even persecution because Jesus' resurrection shows us it was worth it. It is worth it. Now, I'm going to go through this list one more time. This time, I'm going to try and emphasize from all of these beatitudes that, that, that make up righteousness um, how they could cause persecution. Let's walk this through a little bit. Persecution comes from poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit runs counter to the pride of the unbelieving heart. A mourning, repentant heart that grieves over its own sin and the sins of society is also not appreciated. The meek have the strength to not get offended easily, and that's regarded as weak, if not dangerous, by our cancel culture, hungering and thirsting for Jesus in faith is foreign to those who only chase what they can see and what they can touch. The merciful person who feels compassion and shows forgiveness is an embarrassing rebuke to the calloused. The purity of heart focused on Jesus stands in convicting contrast to impure, self-focused lives. And the peace of Jesus, the peace Jesus brings to a heart that leads, uh, leads that person to work for peace all around them. And that indicts all the aggressive forcefulness around them. Altogether, it's because the follower of Jesus is like Jesus that he or she will be persecuted. Now let's move on. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first and the last beatitudes have the same promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a literary device used, which is a way of saying by Matthew the gospel writer, of saying the theme from beginning to end is the kingdom of heaven. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. All the other blessings attached to the rest of the Beatitudes are definitely, certainly significant and rich, but Jesus begins and ends with this one to emphasize membership in the kingdom of heaven is the focus. Wherever the reign of Jesus is being manifested, the kingdom of God is there. The kingdom of God is there. It was there when Jesus imbroke it. Is that the, is that the right word, imbroke it? The inbreaking of the kingdom when Jesus came in his earthly ministry. The kingdom of God is there when his disciples live out his righteousness in the world. And, and the kingdom of God will be there fully, resound, resoundly, beautifully, Robustly, when he returns and makes all things new, and heaven and earth collide in a new heavens and a new earth. The kingdom of God is there. See, until now, all the Beatitudes have been given in the third person. Blessed are those. Let's move on to verse 11, where it switches and says, the direct address of the second person, blessed are you. I just envision Jesus sitting on this hillside, giving the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by the greatest human being that's ever lived. And he's started the Sermon on the Mount with these eight Beatitudes. And then as he's as he's rounding them out, he he catches the eyes of his disciples and says, blessed are you. He presses in on this last one. And this, this, this beatitude, the repetition of it, its personalization and its position at the end of the list, it, it all tells us that it is of supreme importance for the church. So I'm trying to double down on this thing today with you. And I want to define some words for us. Jesus says... Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you. When Jesus says revile, it, that, that word has a meaning of to find fault as a way of shaming and to demean. We've already looked at the word persecute, meaning to harass because of one's beliefs. And then to speak all kinds of evil falsely is to use false th- threatening and deceitful language. Now, in many cases, these situations, uh, they pile on. It might be one or it could be all of them. Jesus' intention wasn't to parse out all the different types of suffering, but to include a range of sufferings that constitute persecution for his sake. Notice that word, when. Persecution is a when and not an if for the follower of Jesus welcome to church. You follow Jesus, persecution is coming. Amen. Let's pray. Aren't you pumped up, right? (laughs) Maybe not the message you were hoping to hear, but it says the same thing in, in multiple places in the New Testament. Let me show you elsewhere where the Apostle Paul says, indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, there's that word, will be persecuted. It's not an if. It's a when. So blessed are you when. So as your pastor, I want to prepare you for the persecution that's coming. And I also want to pastor you well in the persecution that you may well be facing right now. What I don't want is for you to be unprepared and respond in one of these three ways. First, I would hate for you to, to not be prepared and therefore to respond this way. Say, why Are you allowing this, God, with this idea underneath it that this is the belief that things go well for good Christians? I thought if I followed you, God, you would bless me richly in ways that would make me comfortable. This is uncomfortable. Why are you doing this to me, God? I wouldn't want you to respond that way because Jesus wants you to be aware that to follow Jesus is to take up your cross. In other words, it's not a promise for ease. It's actually a promise of difficulty. Second, I would, I would hate for you not to be prepared and respond by thinking, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done to deserve this? I must have sinned in some way, and that's why this is happening to me. Now, look, the Lord certainly disciplines the one he loves, but I, I want you to see the scriptures show you persecution is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Third response I would hate for you to have is to flee from it by being like Jonah and just trying to flee from God. I'm I'm out, I'm out. I'm feeling the pressure, right? I'm feeling pursued. I'm just gonna run from this thing, right? We can have those responses, but I would hate for us to have them. See, as followers of Jesus, I urge you to, to, to see this, to not be surprised because You're expecting it, right? To know that we worship a crucified Savior. Therefore, things will probably not always go well for us. We don't get what we deserve, we get grace. Uh, like Think about the cross, think about Jesus on the cross, think, think about the gospel outworking here. We need not ask God why he's allowing this suffering when we look and see that we didn't get what we deserved when Jesus went to the cross, we got grace. And that eliminates putting God on trial because he has been immeasurably good. And, and and the gospel also shows us that God isn't punishing us for our sins. So we need not ask the question, what have I done to deserve this? And the reason we don't need to ask that question is because Jesus took our punishment on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. Therefore, there is no penalty for us to pay. He's paid it. He's paid the price on our behalf. And we don't need to flee. We don't need to run when we suffer because we know, we know that our suffering cannot be meaningless. Jesus suffered, not that we might not suffer, but that in our suffering, we might become like him. See, his purposes in it. See, but here's the thing. If, if you've never felt the pressure, the harassment, if you've never felt persecuted, if you've never experienced persecution for righteousness' sake, I think it's important to ask yourself the question, why? That's, that's that's my big question today, is if you have not been harassed, if you have not been pressed and felt the pressure, if you have not experienced persecution as a follower of Jesus, why? I've got three ideas, three potentials of, of why that might be. One is maybe you live in a Christian bubble. Maybe you live in a Christian bubble Many Christians in the eastern Fra- Fraser Valley are, are, are cut off from the world and, and, and have done so intentionally, right? Work a job where all or most of your coworkers are Christians, right? I can't really talk out about that because I work at a church. We all love Jesus. But maybe that's your work environment. And then, and then when you need a repairman, you, you make sure that you hire a Christian repairman. A- and um, you send your kids to Christian schools or you homeschool them. And if you're in a more diverse environment, you nonetheless surround yourself with those who believe like you, dress like you, and think like you. Now, any one of these on their own are completely reasonable and understandable and and maybe wise and good choices for you. But all taken together, when you add them all up, what you've done is you've separated yourself from the world and not made yourself available and useful for the kingdom of God for the purposes of presenting the gospel and bringing the gospel to the lost there's a problem with this if if that environment is we've so sheltered ourselves in a christian bubble that we will not we will not experience persecution that's not a good thing second maybe you don't know what it's like to be persecuted because you keep your christianity a secret and therefore it it doesn't disrupt relationships and it doesn't make things awkward and it doesn't jeopardize opportunities for you in work or in school or in relationships. But the danger here, the warning I would want to give you is that hidden Christianity might not be Christianity at all. Now, now I've got a ton of compassion for those of you that are in really difficult circumstances. And I've got a ton of compassion for you if you're a brand new believer and you're feeling this thing out and trying to figure out how do I let my light shine, the light of Jesus shine before others. I, I've got a ton of compassion and time for that. But, but generally speaking, for all of us as followers of Jesus, Christianity isn't some mere trinket that we put on the shelf, or that we hide for a while, that we simply add to our life. Christianity is our life, and everything else you're into are the trinkets. So we cannot live a secret Christian life. It just does not work that way. And then third, perhaps most insidious, maybe is this. You don't experience persecution because your brand of Christianity really just looks an awful lot like the world, right? Maybe you you live like the world lives, immerse yourself in its entertainment, act as if all religions are equal and equally right, act as if hell doesn't exist, and never make moral judgments, and most of all, don't share your faith. If you fall in line with all of those, I can assure you, no worries, you will not experience persecution. But Christians will be persecuted Or at some point, it's fair to say we might not be Christians at all. The church itself must be persecuted, or it's safe to say we're not the church at all. There's a price to pay to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus said this in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but because I but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I don't think the tragedy is that Christians are persecuted. It's not so much that is that oftentimes Christians go unpersecuted. Never experience persecution? An important question to ask yourself is, why? There is no visible reason to persecute comfortable Christians, right? Because their lives pose no threat to the value systems of the world. But listen to this. In reality... Over a million Christians were martyred between the years 2000 and 2010. In that one decade alone, over a million Christians were martyred, were killed for their faith in that recent decade. In fact, more Christians are being persecuted now than ever before. So I want to encourage you to join your brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are embracing the pressure and the harassment and the ridicule in order to live like Jesus. I'm not talking about recklessly pursuing persecution. I'm talking about authentically pursuing Jesus, the way of Jesus, the beatitudes and embodying them, embracing them, living them out. And recognizing that you will face persecution for it. So, how should we respond when persecution comes? Here's the answer. It's found in verse 12. You should rejoice and be glad. What? Yeah, you should rejoice and be glad. Listen, where is Christianity growing the fastest in the world right now? The answer is in hard places. Christianity is growing the fastest right now in the world in Iran, Afghanistan, and Cambodia. All difficult, costly places to be followers of Jesus. Christianity is growing at an annual rate of 19.6% in Iran, where persecution levels are extreme. Christianity is growing at an annual rate of 0.8% in Canada. The reality is, we see this in the Bible and we see this in today's stats globally. When the church is persecuted, it flourishes. We see this in Acts chapter 8. I love this text, Acts chapter 8. If you have a Bible, why don't you open to Acts chapter 8? You can underline some good stuff here. Here's what it says, verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But catch this, except the apostles, except the leaders in the church, but everyone else was scattered. Pick it up in verse 4. Now those who were scattered, who is that? Everyone but the leaders... Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They were persecuted, but as they went, they continued to live for Jesus and to proclaim Jesus. This is exceptional. And here's the challenge for us. See, we want people in our lives to come to know Christ, right? I want that. I know you want that as a follower of Jesus. Those in your life who don't know Jesus, you want them to to experience the hope in Jesus and security in Christ and a flourishing life. You want that for them. But the challenge is you also want to be comfortable. I know that. I feel that. So I want people I love to know Jesus, but I also want to be comfortable. That's a challenge, right? We want to live in a Christian nation with Christian morals and legislation and our religious freedoms. And we certainly want our tax breaks as followers of Jesus that when we give, we get a receipt for that. I praise God for those things. I I really do. But you know what's even more important than all of those things, because all of those things could get removed. Rejoicing in persecution, no matter the cost for the cause of the gospel and the expansion of his kingdom, is more important than those things. Those things can all be set aside. They can be taken from us. And yet what we see will happen is likely a greater movement of the gospel, a greater expansion of the kingdom of God, as the disciples press in and live like Jesus You know, this has happened over and over again, but this is one particular story I appreciate. About a hundred years after Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, um, there was a church father, a leader in the early church named Tertullian. About a hundred years after Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, a leader in the church, and a man approached him with a problem. And the, the problem was that his business dealings conflicted with his faith. And so after explaining these challenges to Tertullian, he asked, what can I do though? Like, what can I do? I must live. Like, what can I do, though? Like, I have to do these business dealings, right? Because I have to live. What must I do? I must live. And Tertullian replied, must you? I think we need to learn from Tertullian here, and I think we need to learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world being persecuted here. When it comes to a choice between loyalty to Jesus and living, the Christian chooses Jesus. When it comes between the choices of our comforts or Jesus, the Christian chooses Jesus. It almost seems inconceivable to have a joy and a gladness in the midst of persecution. Why and how can we do that? According to Jesus, happiness or to be blessed, to flourish, to be happy is not a set of circumstances, but the fruit of a right relationship with God. Most of us think that happiness is found in a set of circumstances and if that, if this happens and that happens, then I'll be happy. That whole idea. Our word happiness actually comes from the word happening and you are happy when what you want to happen happens and when what you want to happen doesn't happen, you are not happy. It's so fickle, it's so fleeting, it's so up and it's so down. According to Jesus, though, happiness is not rooted in a set of circumstances, but is the result of being rightly related to God, and therefore it's steady, it's secure, it's hope-filled. The happiness you are looking for is found in being rightly related to Jesus, secure in Jesus, living like Jesus. And in that regard, I believe that this has been a timely series for us as a church because the world seems to be ablaze seems to be up and down, seems to be unsettled. And yet we can be settled in Jesus. Secure, happy even, rejoicing and being glad. See, not only is our happiness found in being rightly related to Jesus, our rejoicing and gladness is rooted in the reward that awaits us in heaven. It's sort of this future-oriented faith idea. So let's look at this. You see, at some point in your life, you're going to suffer. We, we know that. We've covered this. This isn't the most exciting sermon, the thing you maybe wanted to hear today. But hey, not only are you going to suffer for sure in life, you're also going to die. Okay? These are, these are true statements. So if those are true, though, which they are, at least have the satisfaction that you're suffering for the right reasons, for the right things. To know that you have pleased God, that you've labored for the cause of the kingdom and have eternity to look forward to. Right, this 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 eternity to look forward to with the reward of your labors. The ultimate source of the believers rejoicing, it says this your reward is great in heaven. It literally means immeasurably great. And that's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, this light and momentary affliction, the persecutions I'm experiencing, saying we're experiencing as a church, the, these light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, literally, immeasurably great. And speaking of the Apostle Paul, do you know what some of his, his writings in the New Testament are referred to? They're referred to as the prison letters because he wrote them from, from, from prison for, for no other reason than preaching the gospel, which was a narrative, a worldview, a perspective, a truth about the world that was being rejected by those around him. And he's put in prison for it. Want to know how well things went for Jeremiah, the prophet? He was referred to as the weeping prophet. Sometimes I get referred to as the crying pastor, but completely unrelated. God instructed the prophet Jeremiah not to marry, not to have kids. His role was to call the nation to repent and return to covenant loyalty to God, but they never listened and he suffered greatly. That happened. That's true. That took place. Jesus is the ultimate persecuted prophet. Look what he said in Hebrews 12 to looking to Jesus or look what it says about Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when Jesus went to the cross. What this is telling us is that he did so with joy. He went to the cross with joy. Joy because he knew he was saving us. Joy because he knew of the future that he had in store and the future that he was preparing for all those who would follow him. I want to have a similar joy as I suffer and as I approach the grave. Now, verse 12 has. It's really neat. It has this present, future, past thing going on. I want you to see how this all works out. It's you should know that you will be persecuted for your faith because that's what they did to the prophets long ago. You're in good company with Elijah and Jeremiah, all the prophets who suffered like that. So you should expect it to come. It happened before. It'll happen again. But presently also, you can rejoice and be glad now because your reward is great. And it's secure in the future. So we have this tendency that when things get difficult, right, we focus on that difficulty and say all is hopeless, all is lost. My world is crumbling to the ground. But we aren't meant to focus on the present exclusively. We are meant to zoom out and then focus on the future hope that is secure in Christ. And then in that perspective, that viewing of the future, it informs our present and we can rejoice and be glad. Now, just as I close, I want you to know there will be ways that you get persecuted in our age, in our moment. You're going to get persecuted if you hold a Christian sexual ethic, right? You will be persecuted if you support all life from birth to death and, um, and, and marginalized in between, right? You will be persecuted for that belief, You will be persecuted for saying Jesus is the only way. It will be seen as exclusive. Well, the perceived inclusive view will be all paths lead to God. The challenge with that one, of course, is that, well, it conflicts with most of the major religions of the world that say there's a particular path to God, and so therefore all paths can't be right. And on and on it goes. In reality, there, I think there are some really good responses, really thoughtful responses to the pressures in our moment. But believe me, if you, if you tell people that Jesus is the way and the only way, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted for living and embracing a Christian sexual ethic. You will be persecuted for um, supporting all life. And so I just invite you. Embrace it. I want to pray over us that you would persevere under the pressure. I want to pray for us that you would have the conviction to share the hope of the gospel with those around you, that that's what this life is for. And I want to pray for you to boldly live for Jesus by embodying these beatitudes. So why don't we pray and thank God that he has shown us the good life according to Jesus. Jesus, I, I thank you so much for teaching us your way, the righteous way, and the way that truly leads to happiness, to blessing, to flourishing. Jesus, I pray that you would help us as your followers in this little part of the world to persevere under the pressures we feel when we are called to live like you, but feel that it's tough to do in the scenarios we come across in our lives. Help us persevere under that pressure and live for you, Jesus. I pray that you would give us the conviction to share the hope of the gospel that we have found in you with those we love most and those we meet, those you put in our path divinely so that we might share Christ with them. Jesus, I pray that you would put the gospel on our lips to share with those around us. And I pray, Jesus, help us to be convinced that your way is the best way. Your way is a way to live that we would boldly live out the Beatitudes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.